0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: I'm a custodian for that land. I can't ever forget it and I can't let others forget it either. And I do think this is one of the roles of Banabin women, many Pacific women. We are the caretakers of the land.
0: We need to adapt, but at the same time, it is also important that we maintain who we are, our responsibilities, our talent as as a woman and as a mother
2: that grew up into one. No matter how, how much you try to look a certain way, act a certain way, your true self will always reveal and your culture will always reveal. And that's part of you and it's beautiful. The
3: world is changing at a rapid pace and the younger you are, The easier it is to keep up with those changes. But when you are a young woman in the modern world, how do you protect your Pacific roots? And how do you feel about the more oppressive traditions that hold women back? I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about being a modern Pacific woman from a deeply traditional culture. There are many layers to being a Pacific Island woman. For millennia, our cultures and traditions helped us survive. But we also live in the same global and modern world as everyone else. So how do you balance those two identities, traditional and modern, especially when you have never lived on the land of your ancestors? Dr. Katerina Tewa lives in Canberra now. Where she is a professor of Pacific Studies at the Australian National University. But she grew up on Viti level in Fiji. And even that was a long way from the lands of her ancestors.
1: The island of Rambi is where the Banaban people live. And the Banabans are a small community, Micronesian community in Fiji that was displaced from their home island of Banaba in what is now Kiribati in 1945. So our people have been there since then um, and have had quite a a tumultuous history in Fiji, but that's where my father's people come from and where a lot of my family live.
3: From Panaba to Rambi to Suva to Canberra, there are many levels of distance between Katerina and her heritage, but that hasn't stopped her from maintaining her roots. I'm quite close
1: to all my family in Fiji and before I came to Australia, I spent quite a lot of time with my family and and going to Rambi and spending time on Rambi. This is partly because over 20 years ago, my father was the chairman of the Rambi Council of Leaders, which is a role that also includes representing the Banabans in Kiribati as a member of parliament. As part of his role and the work that he was doing, we were always on Rambi. We were always traveling back and forth. And I got to know every single one of my 50 first cousins. (laughs) Um, My father comes from a a very large family, uh, nine siblings, and they all had many, many children. So I made sure that I knew and I met and I became fairly close to every single one. Of my cousins, and we also have close family in Kiribati. And I I traveled to Kiribati and made sure I met them and I got to know them. So I know my family, I guess, and they know me, even though I'm far away in Canberra. I can communicate with them, thankfully, through social media and other communication platforms. Um, we talk regularly about so many things. I have a grand-aunt in Kiribati, uh, who's one of our family elders who I consult regularly. She's an amazing, wonderful force of nature, who is definitely one of the community leaders uh, amongst the Barnabans and also in Kiribati. And so I talk with her on a daily basis. And I also talk to some of our young leaders on Rambi as well regularly about the many, many, many issues and challenges we face.
3: You are truly well connected. So interesting to hear (laughs) from your story. Tell me about your cultural obligations to your family and community.
1: You know, if we were on the ground on Rambi, uh, you know, a lot of it would have to do with different milestones that people were involved in, whether it was births, weddings, deaths, and funerals and, and things like that. And I have participated you know, in that in the past when I was in Fiji, for example, representing my father when my grandfather passed away and uh, bringing the whole family together and making sure we could cover all the costs for his funeral. But also I when I got married to my Australian husband, we got married in Fiji and we made sure we went back to Rambi to have our wedding celebrations. I felt like that was an obligation on my part because I knew me and my other two sisters, we weren't all going to be able to celebrate our weddings on Rambi. So at least one of us had to (laughs) so that we could gather, we could gather the whole family. family. And that's right. And so my father said, when we went and we had our wedding celebrations on Rambi, he said, Uh, okay, well, so everyone's told me that we have to buy a cow and it has to be a whole cow (laughs) and we have to take it with us because people are going to be camped outside the house uh, for weeks. So that's what we did is we needed to make sure we brought enough food for everyone. And my husband's Australian family and friends came and we came and all my relatives from across Rambi came. They constructed you know, their own maniapa and people were sleeping in that maniapa for days. And so we were having the most, you know, amazing night and day celebrations. There was a lot of kava and there was just a lot of dancing, a lot of performances. And my aunties um, and my female cousins um, in our culture, they're allowed to um, joke and make fun of and play with each other's um, spouses or with the brothers <laughs> wow. of the spouses so it's a lot of joking and a lot of like making people dance when they don't want to dance and all the women will like surround the man who's like marrying into the family and just really really kind of freak him out
3: so <laughs> how that's did your you husband How did your husband respond
1: Oh, well, he was like laughing so much, but also he doesn't like dancing. He's very, very tall and sometimes he feels very awkward dancing, but Banibans are dancers. That's what they do. There's this non-stop dancing.
3: It sounds like you both work very hard to maintain your connection to your people and Kiribas. Does that drive to maintain your roots ever conflict with your lifestyle in 2023? Yes, I
1: think it does sometimes, but I guess because I communicate with people so regularly, it doesn't disappear, it doesn't go away. For example, like before the pandemic, I took my parents to Kiribati and I made sure that we reconnected with our family over there. And then during the pandemic, my uncle in Kiribati actually passed away from COVID. So I made sure, you know, for example, I reached out to my cousins, we sent support for the funeral and things like that. I guess I'm always thinking about Family, I'm always thinking about my cousins and their different needs, and it's my whole identity. I suppose as a as a person, I can't really separate myself out from that. So even though materially we're living a certain kind of life and lifestyle in Canberra, it's like my mind and my heart are always in Fiji, in Kiribati, with our people, with our family, and it's very, very deeply. Grounded. My whole sense of identity is actually very firmly on Banaba, even when I can't see it, even when I can't go there. I have such a strong sense of belonging to that rock in the middle of the Pacific. And I also feel a very strong sense of obligation to actually care for Banaba. That's where my heart and my soul and my grounding are. And I feel, you know, it's not like a a theoretical kind of connection. Mm, um, I get you. It's just a. It's a very strong, strong, strong sense of, I'm a custodian for that land. I can't ever forget it, and I can't let others forget it either. And I do think this is one of the roles of Banaban women, many Micronesian women, many Pacific women, Melanesian women, and Polynesian women. Like we are the caretakers mm. of the land. In order to fill your role. As a Pacific woman, or in my case as a banaban woman, I have to continue to care for that land, even when it's gone. That's how I see my role.
3: Dr. Katerina Tewa is a committed caretaker of the land that her people had to leave before she was born. What a remarkable woman she is. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Hello. What comes to mind when you think about the life of a modern woman? a career, a place in the home, even a social media presence. All of these things have brought change for women in the Pacific. And in many ways, that modernization has led to more independence, empowerment, and even the chance to take on roles that traditionally only men could do. While Tuvalu is one of the Pacific's smallest nations, things are moving ahead for women there. Feeling Anello is the president of Tuvalu Women for Change Association, and is one of the women driving that change.
0: It's changed a lot. I would say that you know, from a very conservative, traditional role that women used to have before. For example, you know, when I grew up, I you know, I, I know that this was you know, way back in the '80s, women expected to stay at home and to look after the children and you know do the works at home as i grew up i see that transition that women even if they work at home now are uh, using the opportunity to have some sort of earning themselves as well when before it's the man who goes outside and you know get money or get the food for the family now the, you know the influence of external factors like capitalism and you know business Uh, Technology now, women are more, even if they stay at home without formal job, they run their their businesses. Now in Tuvalu and Funafuti especially, more women are involved in small to medium enterprises. And that transition is essential to ensure that they are able to survive even in the changing economy that we have at the moment. And that transition in in the economy also, in a way, directly influenced the the traditional role of a woman or of a mother in Tuvalu. And so far from what I see, I'm just being amazed in in how women in Tuvalu try to adapt themselves to the change to our economy to the impact of climate change, and all these external influences also allow these women to adapt so that they can be able to continue to provide for their family, their children, even the extended and society obligations as well. Although Filinga wants these changes for women, she still
3: values the skills and traditions that mothers pass on to their daughters in Tuvalu, like weaving. She doesn't want those traditions to be lost as capitalism and technological advances grow in Tovalo. So, uh, organization runs workshops for young women to ensure traditional skills live on.
0: To some extent, take away that interest and that opportunity for mothers to actually have that time within the family setting to pass it on or to share the experience to to their daughters or their sons. That's something that we see as a problem because we don't want. Us to continue to what lost ourselves in in into these external changes, but we need to adapt. But at the same time, it is also important that we maintain who we are as as and women, our responsibilities, our talent as as a woman and as a mother that grew up in Tuvalu. and that's where we you know we we came in with that um, program or idea getting the, the mothers, older women to come and you know join together with younger generations and just share to them how even a very simple, like uh, weaving a, a hat or weaving a basket, a local basket. With the generation of young
3: women who are on TikTok and other social media sites now where they are seeing uh, a lot of a range of ideas and interests how do you find them settle into those more traditional roles and lessons
0: um, i think the first thing is is um advocating and and continuing to you know to remind them you know we don't have to force them because they already have a choice they are you know human beings they have the rights to choose whatever they want to do but it's we're always proud of being pacific islanders so we're always proud to be and 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 one of the things that we want to remind the younger generation is that when you claim that you want to be a, a Tuvaluan, one of the things that confirm that claim is you can be able to speak in the Tuvaluan language, for example. And not only that, that you can do things that are are originated from Tuvalu. And and as if you claim that you're a woman from the beautiful island of Tuvalu, and there are some, you know, some things that you need to possess to you know to declare and to confirm that yes, you are indeed a, a young lady from Tuvalu. And you know, so far when we the young women that we've been working with, none of them oppose that that view. They are always proud to be uh, women from the beautiful land of Tuvalu. And and they also agree that in order for that, to know that it's it's just to be something to learn. Um they don't have to be expert in it, but it's something that they, the basic that they need to have. We also want to to tell them that you know to stand out from the rest of the world, from the rest of the Pacific Islands, is that you have to know where you're from, and 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 that's very important. You know, even if you go and do whatever TikTok technology and things, you can do that. But at the same time, for you to stand out in the world, you have to know who you are and maintain your identity, and that includes some of these traditional um, knowledge. Affects and responsibilities that you have to, you know, to continue to uphold. On the other end,
3: feeling says it's also important to challenge the traditions that hold women back.
0: Culture is is one of the main um, barriers for gender equality because we 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 live in a culture where you know men expect to make the decision, but you know these are these are the norms. These are the things that. Developed by men themselves, uh, you know, our the past generations, and 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 one of the things that we see that even if it's a challenge, you know, it's it's gradually tra- changing. You can, I think, the main thing is that you can influence men in, in their decision making. You know, most of the men sitting and do the decision, they are either your husband, or your son, or your father, or your uncle. And you as a woman, if you, if you can't sit at the same table with them because of the culture, you also have these other means. At home, you know, you can share your views to them. It's a challenge because for gender equality in our culture, but so far we've been advocating in those options. You know, be, be, um, be creative. The other area that we are still a bit behind as well is in terms of uh, heritage. And and that's you know, regard to lands, which I think are similar to most of the other Pacific Islands. But it's gradually changing. Our laws are also being reviewed, and more and more now landowners are, are being more fair in distributing their lands rather than strictly holding on to that um, to that norm that you know land has to only be given to men. One of the main argument that prevails a lot in terms of land is is it is the men that are obligated to provide for the social obligations of of the family unit. When uh, a family has to perform those social obligations to the community, it has to be the man who is leading that, and that's that's why uh, they, they always say that you know lands has to be stay with the men because they're the one providing that those obligations. Nowadays, that's changing because. Women are now also living as a, a holding position as fatai or head of the family, and so they are all working together. Some women nowadays, as, as well in terms of you know opening a border for labor mobility, for scheme like RSC scheme to New Zealand and Australia. majority are men. So when these men leave for these opportunities and also seafarers, it's a women back at home who are holding up their, their family units and also their obligation, their social obligation to the community. So that's, that's also changed that role and that argument to, you know, to no longer be strictly relevant. Filingenelu is the president of Tuvalu Women for Change Association,
3: and she's working hard to give women in her country opportunities for prosperity and independence without losing the skills and traditions that are important to their culture. Like me, Jess Dindilo is a woman from Papua New Guinea living in Victoria in Australia. But unlike me, Jess didn't grow up in her homeland. In fact, she hasn't returned to PNG since she was four years old. But her heritage still matters a lot.
2: It is so important, especially coming here from such a young age. I feel that even when you're four years old, five years old, coming into a new environment, new world as we would see it you know at that time we're still finding ourselves in terms of what we want to be who we are finding our identity but in saying that our culture and who we are our identity our roots are always with within us but at t- at some point in time they will always reveal themselves we'll always question you know our parents our moms our aunties our sisters siblings you know where where do we actually come from and why, we're, you know, why do we actually leave a show? So I think, yeah, it is it is very important, um, no matter what journey we're on. And at some point in our lives, we'll always ask about our culture and um, our, our motherland.
3: Growing up, was there a point where you tried to sort of reject culture or question it?
2: Not at all. I feel like my parents were very, very involved in community. In Queensland, where we were participating cultural performances at church, even at barbecues at home in our backyard, we were. You know, our parents would make it fun and entertaining, where it didn't feel like it was a burden or we were forced to do something we didn't want to do. We just felt that that was normal. And even back in you know the village prior to coming over, we we entertained our family in that way, where you know we we'll do dances, we'll make dances up with our cousins, <laughs> we'll perform them in front of everyone. So I feel that even coming over here, no, I don't feel like you know it was um, a burden or we were forced to do anything in particular to keep our culture. We just embraced it and enjoyed every moment of it.
3: I'm actually quite surprised when I spoke to you yesterday and uh, you mentioned you've never been home and what you've learned all. Or- And what you do here is all from what you learn here in Australia because I saw you dance, you know, one of the cultural dances, and you're so good with the cultural performance. So Thank you. Yeah, your mom and your your parents are doing a great job.
2: Thank you so much.
3: When it comes to gender equality, Mm -hmm. how are you able to ensure you have your rights while maintaining traditions?
2: I think it's just being true to yourself and just expressing yourself and being comfortable in in who you are. And I know, you know, traditionally, um and culturally, some of these topics, you know, won't even can't even be discussed. But I feel like the environment, you know, that we're now even in show it's more it's more open in terms of discussion. However back home I know it's not, but I feel like in even speaking to youth, it's just be yourself. And I feel like As a young person, we're still going through a journey of finding our identity and making that personal connection with our culture in our own individual way.
3: Mm. Can you give me an example of those discussions that you have with uh, not only yourself but with young people that you interact with?
2: There's one particular young girl who is she's just so blown away, I guess, with you know my progression as an individual. And just being able to believe in what I believe and stand up for what I believe in and just be so motivating towards her. And I feel like when they see young women or people do what they love and do what they believe in, that's what empowers imp- them and inspires them. Because I feel like coming over here, and I can relate to that, coming over here at a young age, we feel like we have to fit in into this new environment. and just encouraging them and letting them know that you can be yourself and it's okay if you don't fit in because that's what makes you the individual person you are and people will appreciate that because no matter how, you know, how much you try to look a certain way, act a certain way, your true self will always reveal and your culture will always reveal and that's part of you and it's beautiful. So don't be afraid or ashamed to really express who you are and these are the type of conversations that, I have, you know, with the youth, you know, if you believe in something, if you want to achieve something, do it. And just remind them that I will be here to guide them, give them advice if they need, give them opportunities. Just little conversations like that just gives them hope.
3: Jess runs a cosmetics business in Melbourne, supplying makeup and cosmetics not only for Melanesian women, but Black, Indigenous and people of colour. While Australia is multicultural, it's still dominated by Western beauty ideals.
2: When I initially opened the shop, I opened up with my roots. So I engaged with friends and community in Queensland to shoot our opening campaign and I encouraged them to wear their bilas, the different provinces that they were from. And we together collaborated as one because I really wanted to show our community that. PNG is very diverse when it comes to looks, color, your skin color, skin tones, your hair. And we're beautiful people, but I feel like I wanted to embrace that and show that it's okay to look the way you look. It's okay to be different. Because when we come here, we feel that we're an outsider. We feel like we have to change our looks or our hairstyle to fit in the side of here. So having that initial connection. Before even opening the shop was very important because that's what I wanted to teach or to educate or to remind our community that the cosmetics and beauty um, business that I have, that's where it all begins with you, internally.
3: What are some cultural practices that you still remember from when you were in PNG?
2: The storytelling was (laughs) the the biggest ones. I feel that was a way where we really connected with our siblings, our cousins, but it was mainly the elders. You know, we would learn how to carry customs forward from these stories. And even, you know, a few months ago, I went back to Queensland and I attended my auntie's funeral and just the storytelling behind why we had to wear the costumes in a particular way, why we had to wear certain colours because it represented our family in the village we had to wear a blue shirt. And I questioned, why well, Why do we have to wear a blue shirt? Because that was the colour representation of my mother's side, her family. So when the village, when they saw a funeral or an event and they wore that colour, it identified us.
3: Are there any obligations that come with your heritage that you struggled with as a girl raised in Australia?
2: No. I feel with... The household that, you know, I've been raised in, I feel it comes back down to, you know, your your family and how you were raised. Like my parents are very open minded. You know, when I speak to them about, you know, activities or things, businesses that I want to, I want to do, I want to open any dreams and goals that I have, Um, even moving away at 21, you know, my parents were actually quite very encouraging. And I always reminded them that because of you, I'm here in Australia. Because of you, I have the opportunity to have the amazing education I have, to participate in violin classes, to, you know, play sport. And when I reflect back, would I have these opportunities in Papua New? Probably not. So I am I, very expressive and very open when it comes to communication to why I do certain things, even though at times they don't understand and they may not agree with it. But I feel that it comes down to, yeah, definitely how you were raised. And my parents are very, like I said, very open minded and encouraging when it comes to me pursuing my goals. Jess Dindilo
3: is from PNG, living in Melbourne, where she runs a BIPOC cosmetics company. Thanks to all my guests today Jess, Philing and Dr. Katerina Tewa. The way they have embraced the opportunities of being a modern woman without losing their proud Pacific roots is an inspiration. Thank you so much for joining me, Hilda Wayne, for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, what happens when breast cancer goes untreated?
0: It's like a boil, eh? And like like it burst and it started opening. Half of my breast was paid and half of it's gone. So when I went to the hospital, I was on stage four.
3: What needs to happen in the Pacific to ensure women are diagnosed early and get the treatment they need? That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented and produced by me, Hilda Wayne. Our supervising producer is Kim Lester. Executive producer is Inge Stunsner. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. and ta na bungimu next time.